We are proud to partner with MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Students can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, wind time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and so much more. Even my favorite, Synergy Time. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com slash BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash BE. This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies edtech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable, real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com BE. That's IXL.com slash B-E. Welcome to the Transformative Principal Podcast, where we learn how to be an amazing educational leader. I am your host, Jethro Jones. Are you ready to be a transformative principal? I'm looking for about 10 people who are ready to do what it takes to lead with integrity, find balance, and take your school to the next level. If you're looking to improve your leadership in a measurable way, go to transformativeprincipal.org slash mastermind to see if you qualify to join a group of like-minded people who are ready to be the best principals in the country. Welcome to Transformative Principal. I am excited to have Claire Fulp today. She is awesome. Great principal in Anchorage School District, doing a lot of cool things. And can you believe she's actually got an open school where the walls did not get put back up. How cool is that? So we're going to talk a little bit about that, but really we're going to talk about her summer program for ELLs and refugees that I think is just awesome. And hopefully your school district is doing something like this, but what a great opportunity to really focus on a specific group of kids and help them have a great successful time. Uh, thank you so much for listening. There are a few links to show notes that we can uh, you can find on transformativeprincipal.org. Just search for Claire Fulp in the Who Do You Want to Learn From? and you'll find her information there. Thank you so much for listening to Transformative Principal. Please reach out to others and share this with them. And I really appreciate the time you're taking to listen and learn how to be a better principal. Welcome to Transformative Principal. Today, I am excited to have Claire Fulp on the show. She is the principal of Chugach Optional in Anchorage School District. And Claire, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Well, you and I have worked together planning the Principals Conference here in Alaska. And as someone that is at an elementary school and I'm in the secondary system, we haven't had too much interaction, but um, I'm excited to talk to you about the amazing things that you're doing, which are far and wide, and you have a lot of different things you're interested in. So this will be a great conversation. 
Sounds good. So I want to talk about what I saw on your Facebook just the other day, which is this school that you're doing this summer. Do you want to talk a little bit about that and and what your premise of that is? Sure. I am running, it's going to be my second year doing it. It's a, a school designed for new to country students whose e- English is a second language. And we are we're doing something different. And the director of ELL, Phil Farson, he has a really creative vision. And um, I interviewed for the principal job a few years ago, and I didn't get it. And Phil kind of saw that vision in my my head. And he said, you know, why don't you go to San Francisco and go to the QTEL Institute, which is kind of the state of the art ELL work that's being done. And I went to the Institute and then the next summer I got hired. So this is my second summer doing it. So I really thank Phil for seeing that vision. And he is allowing me to kind of design the school in a way that is going to artistically engage the kids. And um, we're going to be working on a two-gatch optional. So there's going to be really no walls or doors between the classrooms. And we're going to be running it like an alternative school. So it's going to be project-based learning, almost how exactly opposite as a nation, we treat English language learners. <laughs> yeah. And I'm really excited to see the outcome of this because there will not be a lot of direct instruction. It's going to be language-rich environments through super high engagement. Oh, awesome. I'm I'm excited. I have about a million questions already. So we're going to have to kind of pace ourselves yeah. as we go through this. Let's talk first about the physical space because that is so important. You said there's no walls or doors between the classrooms. And I I assume that's how Chugach Optional is already set up. So tell me a little bit more about that. Yes. um, So last summer, we did it at another school where it was a traditional school and the program went well, but um, I'm the principal at Chugach Optional. So that building is architecturally designed. So with an open concept in mind, there's large windows and there's um, one hallway with a library at the end. And there's like little tiny pony walls, between the classrooms, but you can flow between the whole school and just feel the whole, all of the learning environment by walking down the one main hallway. And so um, that just really opens up learning and where there's no certain space that we have to be learning in. I mean, kids do math down the hallway, measuring things, you know, we're using every nook and cranny and it's not like you're confined to one specific area. So the physical space is so key for any school. And now that I've been at Chugach, I, I don't know. There's so much more light in kids' lives and adult lives with just the sunshine coming in and, and then being exposed to other learning environments. It's really, it's really quite amazing. So. Well, one of the things about open spaces, we've had this in education at various times and we always end up putting walls back up. Yeah. What has to change for you to be able to continually have the walls down? You know, you really have to teach a respectful in charge environment. So I've had colleagues be like, isn't your school super loud? And it's not because, you know, it's just kind of the kids learn that hum that's appropriate and they're really in charge of their learning. And so you need a you need a, you know, and as we talked about at the principal's conference, the leader in the building is really key. So you need a leader that believes in that philosophy. And same thing up here in the 1970s, open optional was really huge in Anchorage. And since the school bonds have passed, we've seen the walls go back up in a lot of the schools because they, it's like, you know, that wasn't um, the vision for that school anymore. And so um, I personally like working in open space as an adult. I like, you know, creative environments surrounding me. I like to kind of feel what, what else is going on. And so you really have to have some really good soft skills taught to kids in order to for that to be a pleasant environment. 
And those skills, I think we're, we're saying the soft skills are so key in life. And so, uh, you know, it's, you don't ever hear teachers at Chugach saying volume zero, screaming. And, you know, some of, it's just really interesting to see, like, some of the things we have to do to keep kids quiet in these other environments. So it's interesting. It is interesting. And, and it's also something where you have to teach the teachers that as well. What kinds of work do you have to do with the teachers to teach them what an appropriate classroom management structure is at your school? Um, you know, I, th- I think we really go back to that intrinsic, you know, that in charge, we don't use any reward systems. We don't. So it's almost the power of, you know, we have quite a few very seasoned teachers at Chugach and it's the power of just kind of watching somebody, you know, when you're an adult, I mean, the teachers literally can see what each other are doing by just, you know, from their classroom. So, you know, I think there's natural supports in place when that's happening and accountability in place when that's happening. And we're kind of all, you know, I mean, I think sometimes in education, it's like you shut the door and it's like, okay, no one's going to see what I'm doing. And it's just kind of, you know, oh, I can I help you with this? Like I noticed it's really a team approach, literally when you have to all, when your space is all shared. Yeah. So how is that going to look with the uh, English language learners this summer. Yeah. What is what is that going to look like? I'm really interested. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great I, you answer. You know, I'm I'm a little nervous because um, I've I've also I hired differently for this program too. Traditionally, this program was all ELL teachers kind of got the gig for the summer, and. I've mixed it up. So we have some people coming from Title I schools. We have some people who've never worked with new-to-country students but have worked at schools that, you know, are majorly project-based. And and then we have, you know, other teachers who are just great teachers coming from the neighborhood school. And we did a few things strategically, like posted the positions early and so people could kind of design their summer plans about it. But every teacher coming in has a passion for these children, so that's key. But um, not all of the teachers have actually worked in this setting. So I'm teaming them up, you know, with they're all going to be on a team. And somebody on the team is going to be bringing in ELL skills. Somebody's going to be bringing in enrichment skills. And then somebody may be just bringing in great teaching techniques. And so, you know, I just started my doctorate and I'm hoping to use this work for my dissertation because it's really interesting work that, you know, I'm actually kind of hoping, you know, the children have not been in this environment before. They've been volume zero down the hallway. They're going to a lot of direct instruction. They're coming from a lot of schools where it's just more explicit instruction and not that that's bad or good, but this is going to be very different for them. And so short answer, I'm not sure what it's going to be like. (laughs) Well, I think it's really valuable that you've hired people to bring their own strength to this. Talk about that hiring process and what you're looking for and how clear you were with the teachers as they were applying for this summer position. Yeah, so the hiring process for these extra duty positions, it's a little bit uh, different. You just, I sent out questions and screened resumes and questions that people submitted. And um, so I was really looking for the passion for kids because, um, and a great attitude, you know, I think you would probably agree like that can take anybody so far. And, and it's like that great attitude piece is so key for summertime work because it's kind of like, if you don't do a good job and if it's not fun, the kids just won't come. And so, cause this isn't a mandatory thing. This is you know, they all get on the bus and they all come. And we had a couple of classes last year where the 
every day I'd notice the attendance would get a little lower. And, you know, the, the classes that were really high were, you know, the attendance was really high because they were doing really high engagement things. And so those were the types of things I was looking for. And that attitude to me, you know, I love working with somebody who has a great attitude. So really instilling the love of learning into kids, the growth mindset, just being a positive adults in their life. And then obviously, you know, what skills they bring to the table. So kind of in that order though, because if, you know, if you're not really great with kids all summer, that's not going to be a good experience, no matter what great lesson you're doing. Yeah. Well, and the other, the other part of that is that if you aren't, if you're not positive about it, then it doesn't matter how good your teaching is, what skills you actually bring to the table, if they're overshadowed by a negative attitude or or something like that. So it's really important to hire for that. You know, Seth Godin wrote a uh, blog post called Let's Stop Calling Them Soft Skills. And you can see that it's in my show notes at transformativeprinciple.org and just search for Claire, C-L-A-R-E when you get there. And, and you'll see that on the on the website. And what that what he talks about is their skills, but they're not soft. They're the most important skills that we actually have. And so we do our, we do ourselves a great disservice when we don't make that the intention of what we're hiring for. And you're definitely explaining how you're doing that for your school right now. So if you haven't read that, Claire, you'll definitely need to check that out. And I would love that. Yeah, you, yeah. You'll like it a lot. I'll, I'll text it to you in a minute so that you can... And I think read. the research, actually, I read you know, some research somewhere lately that, um, you know, as you go up further in your career, the soft skills are actually what matters most, your social intelligence yeah. and even, you know, far more than anything measurable. So we, we really emphasize that at, at my current school. And, um, I'm really hoping, hoping to do that this summer as well. Yeah. Very, very cool. So project-based learning with kids who don't speak much English and teachers who probably do speak English. What What's your plan? How are you going to make that happen? <laughs> I don't know. Just kidding. <laughs> 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 so what I'm looking at doing is I'm meeting with the staff next after spring break. I want to get their wheels turning because our first official day to plan is June 8th. But I'm going to just go over some really insightful things with the refugee community right now and and then show them the ELL standards. So they're going to be building themes based on the ELL standards. And um, I'm going to ask each team to come up with projects that there's going to be like an exhibition day at the end of this, this six weeks where the kids show something that they've made or done. And we're looking at the theme of self, social, city, state, and world. So how do you connect to any of those things? You know, if you're a refugee, you're going to want to know more about Alaska. You're going to want to know more about yourself, exploring some of these feelings that are happening when you move to a new country, how you fit in the social piece of the world. So those are kind of the parameters. And within those parameters, there's lots of room to be creative. And I don't know if you've seen the movie, Most Likely to Succeed. It just came out. Yes, I was just going to say, is this related okay. to that? Yeah. So their exhibition night really inspired me. And so that's from that movie, you know, that's kind of, if you can imagine, that's really what I'm going for is I don't want to see any worksheets. I don't want to see like we are, you know, they're going to have to put a material list together and we're really going after it. And it's going to be similar to that movie. Like that was a really great movie. Yeah, it it really is. And it's something that uh, we have been striving to do at my school down here also. And 
we've created an inquiry class that students, instead of taking a like U.S. history class in eighth grade, they take a inquiry class for that, and they have the standards and they decide how to meet the standards. So there's a lot of really cool, a lot of really cool stuff that happens when kids get to decide how they're going to meet the standards because they don't think how we do. And so they have a a different approach to it. And it's really fascinating to see what they value, what they think is important. And for them to be able to actually learn things and not have it come from an adult really changes how you think about education as a whole. Oh, yeah. And that's like such deep learning. Yeah. I think the part that scared me on that movie is when they, um, you know, gave a test to kids from a pretty high achieving high school and everybody got A's and then three weeks or two months later gave the same test and the kids failed. And so I'm really looking for retention. And that's where through project-based learning, you know, we're going to be adding um, a math component. Um, Bobby Jo Herb, who I know you know, yep. she's done work in Kodiak. She's going to be a, a guest artist. So I have the first week of the program, Brett Dillingham, who's a performance literacy artist. He's going to be coming. He's out of Juno. He's a fantastic human being, great energy, and he tells stories using his body. So that's how, you know, he'll tell a story about a raven and, and make the sounds. And, and so it's just super high engagement. And then he teaches the kids to write a story. And he says, you know, this can be fiction or nonfiction. So that gives them permission to write about where they're from. And you can create up stuff, you know, create stuff. Or So he creates this very safe environment, gets all the kids to write. So I'm going to have him for two weeks, and he's going to be working with the teachers in the classrooms, working with the students. And then Bobby Joe is going to be um, coming for two weeks, and she's going to be doing math, project-based learning through math. And both those people, I know you know Bobby Joe, so Brett's energy is equally as awesome, and they are just going to both bring their A game. And so through that, like geometry through building, I mean, I think that's what in the – you know, my most likely to succeed, they really talked about, you know, you learn these skills and then you remember them because you built a chair or, you know. Well, it's, it's so much more powerful when you're doing something for a real purpose. You know, we had a little bit of connection issues here getting started and I have three backup plans. If my first plan doesn't work for recording this podcast. And I know all of those like the back of my hand and it's not stressful at all to me at this point when things don't work because I've got a backup plan in place and I have the system set up to make sure that I can still do this. But I didn't know how to do this three years ago when I started. And if you ever go back and listen to the first episode, I'm embarrassed by it because (laughs) it's so poorly done. But I've learned a lot since then and figured out how to make it so much better. And it's worth that effort and worth that struggle to learn because then you remember things in such a more powerful way. One of the things that one of our students did last year was her family was moving to the East Coast. And so she she was in eighth grade and was learning about U.S. history. So she was going to live right outside Boston and did everything about the role Boston played in the American Revolution. And The things that she was able to learn were things that I had never heard of before and couldn't tell you now what they were, but she knows them now and knows them in an intimate way that that none of her peers would ever know or ever will know because she was so interested and invested on her own. And that is just incredibly vital for our kids. Now, you're working with a lot of refugees and are these uh, kindergarten through 12th, are they just... 
elementary, what is the age group that you're working with? Yeah, so we're going to be working with current K through six. So they're going to be going into one through seven in the fall, first through seventh grade in the fall. The purpose behind that was, you know, Chugach is a smaller school. So we're hoping for a number of 230 for the summer. And we really wanted to just kind of keep it in a, you know, in that, that's a pretty the, within the levels that those children are going to be coming with, that's a large span right there. But mm-hmm. so it's it's kind of would be a model of like an elementary school that serves sixth graders too. So, and I told, you know, I did hire a five, six teacher at my current school and I, I let her know, I said, be prepared. These sixth graders are going to seem different than your current sixth graders. And she just was like, what do you mean by that? And it's last year, I was really just the street smart. They're bringing in Samoan kids. I mean, I know you see that at Kodiak Middle School where they just are, you know, look like high schoolers. And so it's a whole different, even though like they're going into seventh grade and it just, is a very different, you know, they've had to kind of, some of them run their family. So it's, it's a, even though it seems like elementary school, it sort of doesn't. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And they're, they're dealing with things and, and certainly with refugees, they're dealing with things that some of us have never even thought of having to experience. And they're already dealing with that. One story that I have from a student who is a refugee, he was really struggling in school and was in sixth grade. And, you know, we talked about uh, how things are going. And he said that, you know, he didn't want me to tell his parents that he was struggling in school because he was afraid that his parents would send him back to West Africa, where he was from. And I said, well, why would they do that? And he said, well, we still have family there. And if I can't act better at school, then they will say that it's not worth it for me to be here and they'll bring someone else and send me back. And I said, well, why Why did you leave in the first place? And he said, well, we left because people were just getting stabbed for no reason and there was no water. We couldn't drink any of the water, so we were able to get out. And that is like a sentence from the experiences that this kid had been through. No wonder he was struggling academically and behaviorally in school because he was dealing with things that I've never not had clean drinking water. I've never been around people who were getting stabbed for no reason. I've never had the threat of going back to that hung over my head if I wasn't obedient. So these kids are coming with experiences that um, many of us will hopefully never understand because we haven't been there. How do you approach that with the refugees that you're going to be dealing with, or maybe already are. Yeah, that's a really powerful story, Jethro. That, and, you know, just on a professional note and a personal note, this is the work that really gives me goosebumps. And I, I know I found a passion that I hope I can continue to keep working for serving these kids. You know, I think just an open heart is just, you don't need to like have all these super duper great trainings and all that stuff. Like I think kids just connect with you if they know you're compassionate for them. And it can be as simple as that. You know, I mean, I've gone to trainings. I've used to teach at a Title I school and have gone through, you know, all this fancy ELL stuff. But when it comes down to it, it's like, you know, when you have a passion for culture and learning about the world and then also just pausing and asking that child that question. I mean, there's a lot of people that would just say, this is a naughty kid. Can you suspend them? And it's like, well, let's, let's unpeel the onion a little bit. Like, what is going on? And so, you know, I think it's just compassion and, and also an interest in the world. 
I was, um, so I was just on a trip to Nebraska for school, my own school, and I had a cab, an Uber driver, and he looked like he's from Africa. And so I said, you know, where are you from? And he told me Africa, but he looked apprehensive that he was a refugee. And I told him right away, like, oh, that's cool. I'm doing the school this summer. And he, he was very well spoken. He looked like he's in his late 20s. He graduated from school in Nebraska, and he's an Uber driver on the side. And he said he got here when he was 12, and he lived in a refugee camp his whole life up to getting here. And I said, tell me about that. And he told me that, you know, the, the camp was about five miles wide, five miles, you know, deep, 70,000 people were living there. Wow. And he just said, you know, I, the biggest difference is you couldn't think past a day. You were struggling with people. You didn't think about what do you want to do when you're older. He said if you didn't think past the day. It was kind of a survival mindset. And he said to me that even though he's very happy, he's in America, He what he wants, because I said, you know, what do you want people? What's the biggest resource people can do to help refugees? And he said, besides money and all those things, just being a friend, because America is so wide so many people and you know nobody you've lost everything your all your connections he said sometimes he misses that community he had in the refugee camp because they don't in america we don't have that yeah and so it's just kind of interesting to just pause and be like okay you know just to think about that and and how much we have and how we kind of are in silos in the united states you know we all have our little life and um, and so just being a friend to some of these people that have come over with part of their family, you know, asking them about their culture, that would be really hard to just, you know, uproot yourself and like go across the world. Yeah. So a little girl last summer told me she missed milking a cow in Kenya. And, you know, like I hope her teacher at her school she went back to got that information out of her. Cause it's like, you know, you, when you think about it, you're like, I've never milked a cow. Yeah. <laughs> I've never been to Kenya. Yeah. Many of us haven't. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So I, uh, about that community aspect, I, I lived in Russia for two years and, uh, I was, the cities there are set up much differently than us. They're all in high rise apartment buildings and very close together. So they would have, uh, it's a very densely populated area out in Siberia and it's, you walk everywhere, you see people, you talk to people here. I mean, you get in your car, in your garage, and then you go to work and then you get to work and then you don't interact with anybody really. And unless you're getting coffee on the way or something until <laughs> you get to work and you can be enclosed and in this bubble. And, you know, I didn't think about that community feeling that you would feel, but that's probably a very real thing that people do not get when they, when they come to America, because we're not set up like that. We're much more individualistic and focused on ourselves and not on community building around us. And I think America suffers for that. Mm -hmm. Like there's a lot of people that experience extreme loneliness and, you know, I mean, I have a townhouse and I haven't seen my neighbor since summer because we both drive out of our garage. Yeah. And I mean, it's just, it's just a whole new world. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about the direct instruction piece or lack thereof as you're planning this. A lot of people say that, you know, kids who are learning English need to be taught how to say the words correctly. How are you going to support their language development 
as well as their academic performance? Or what's really the bigger Measurable. Goal? Yeah. Yeah. So I think there's a lot of misconceptions with, you know, English language learning. And one of them is that language is linear. So you think you're like, oh, you need to learn like cat, bat, sat before you learn like, you know, what metacognition means. Kids, if, you know, it's not linear. So kids can learn, you know, we used to pull kids out of class and teach them. And the model that is best practices, we really should be pushing in, collaborating with the teacher and just supporting kind of more of Vygotsky's theory of zone of proximal development, scaffolding, supporting the environment, providing a language rich environment. And kids are so much better for a better word, you know, than adults at learning language because their brains are just, you know, more like sponges. And so I'm really looking at, you know, not having like, not necessarily like words posted all over the, you know, walls, but really looking at having great conversation happening all day long. I'm building multi-age classrooms. So kindergarten will be by itself. First and second grade will be together third and fourth grade will be together and five and six will be together. And the purpose behind that is um, to create like a younger elder type vibe in the classroom. And so children are learning from each other just as much as from the teacher. So it's not like I'm the holder of the information, boys and girls, and I'm going to give it to you. It's, it's through in that one classroom, you know, we're going to have an array of languages. We're going to have lots of different abilities and then high interest projects. So there'll be lots of conversation happening. And then there'll be a teacher assistant as well as a teacher. So to answer your question, the real, the goal is we're not going to like do testing on the kids. We're going to be doing, it's a six week program. And at the end of the third week and of every session, they're going to build a portfolio in the first session and, and, show self-assess and show how they've learned in the areas of social emotional learning, math and literacy. And in the second session, we're going to have an exhibition at the end of the second session. And that's where I'm going to invite in like district people and and other people who are saying, "Okay, Claire, you can do this. Let's see how it goes." I'm hoping that they can see, you know, the kids are going to talk about their projects, show their learning. So the beauty of this, it's a six-week program, so we don't have like Ames Web scores they have to report. But I, I do think we're going to be able to show writing is going to get, you know, much stronger. Confidence, which is so huge for ELL students. A lot of them are silent in the high school classes. Confidence, writing, mathematical, seeing themselves as math- mathematicians. We're using growth mindset for our SEL type teaching. We're going to be doing a lot with growth mindset. Great. And yes, and and teaching them that being bilingual or multi, you know, multilingual is is a strength and not a weakness. You know, they may not be perfect in English, but I only know one language, you know, I mean, so having them approach it in confidence. And so really um, the, the two goals academically are literacy, you know, um, language arts, if you would, and, and math, and then growth mindset. So projects will stem from all of those things. Well, I think that's really cool and definitely what kids need to have. You know, anytime we as adults meet someone else who speaks a different language, we're just amazed by it. And I speak Russian every time I do to people who only hear me speak English or around people who only hear me speak English. They're amazed that I have this other skill set that opens up, you know, a whole new group of people that I can communicate with that you just can't. So any kind of extra 
skills and abilities in those areas is really powerful. And we don't recognize that enough. I feel like we try so hard to teach these kids how to speak English so they can be successful here that they feel like English is bad. And I don't remember the study that I read, but there's a study of English language learners generationally where the first generation, they struggle mightily to learn English. The second generation, they completely eschew their first language and only want to speak English because they only want to be American. And then by the third and fourth generation, those kids are like dying to connect with their past and learn more of the language and the culture and all that. And I've seen that in real life as I've worked with multi-generational immigrant families and how, you know, we are sometimes at fault for making kids not want to know their native language when really we should be valuing and respecting that and allowing them to show what they're learning in that language also, even if we can't always understand it. Absolutely. And, you know, I'm going to be very clear with the teachers that kids can speak in their mother tongue and they can speak, you know, I think teachers are like, what are they saying? And, you know, because some of the kids, especially from Africa last summer, you know, they get a little bit, I mean, culturally, they like to laugh and play and, you know, versus if you were to compare it to like Alaska Native children. And it's like, no, they can speak in their language and that is creating comfort. And so, I mean, it's just kind of what happened to the Aleutic people in Kodiak. I mean, languages will die off if we don't yeah. promote them. Mm-hmm. So, Yeah, very important. So what's something else that we didn't get a chance to talk about yet that you feel like we really need to know about what you're planning with this this summer? Yeah, one more cool thing is the community is really excited about this. And I think that that's because of the political environment. And regardless of who, you know, Republican or Democrat, the refugee community is does not feel welcome in America right now. And I think that's just important to note that because that's going to be something I'm going to need to, you know, talk to my staff about. And a lot of people are, are one of the teachers asked me, are people afraid to sign up for the program because they're refugee? And I didn't even think about that. And Catholic Social Services reached out to me and I have a relationship with CSS because I serve on their board. And they emailed me and said, can we host World Refugee Day, you know, at your school, like playground this summer for the whole Anchorage community in conjunction with the school. And so I'm hoping to get um, Kaladis, who's our business partner, to bring their big truck. And um, we're going to have like a huge community block party. And so during the day, it'll be um, for the children, like games around the world. And then like five to eight, we're going to have musicians and, and just have it kind of be a celebratory thing for all of Anchorage. And I hope that'll make these families feel welcome and celebrate our diversity. We have like over a hundred languages spoken in the Anchorage School District. And um, I think that's so cool. So that's one more piece is that the community is really excited. My school, my current families, um, which is a very affluent school, is also very excited. We're going to be doing a learning partner program. So some of my current students can come by this summer and be a learning partner for part of their day. We have a big garden at our school that'll be and a chicken coop so they can garden with the children or you know, do a math game or those kids who, and they're going to really apply for it and and it won't be, you know, it'll be a really meaningful program for those kids. So we're going to be having the kids check books out from our library. I mean, there's just the ideas are just like going on and on and on. And just like (laughs) pinging all the time. Bing, 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 let's do this. Yeah, (laughs) that's cool. And it's neat that I have such a cool community of, even though they're a very affluent population, you know, at Chugach Optional, 
they're very worldly minded. And so I have a dentist friend who wants to give every child a toothbrush and, you know, do teach some of the children how to brush their teeth. That was something I noticed last summer that we had first graders from Somalia with teeth, uh, you know, a lot of uh, dental issues because the food is so different. And in the, you know, the education on actually just brushing your teeth is not, is not worldwide known, you know? So yeah, there, I just, it's really inspiring to me to see how many people are like, I have this skill. Can I help? You know? Yeah, that's awesome. When you do that, that is how you make people feel welcome and feel part. And, you know, nobody ever knows how they individually can help. And so I think your advice earlier about just being a friend is really important. But then also, you know, talk to people who are working with our refugees and figure out how, what other things you can do, because there are things that, you know, I would have never thought that brushing teeth would have been that important. But I, now that you mention it, I totally get it because you're probably in a state of crisis, not thinking past a day as a refugee, you're probably not thinking yeah. about brushing your teeth and making sure that they stay healthy, you know? <laughs> so, and you know, there's like even in Kodiak, like Dr. Arnest, there's some awesome dentists that would be like, yeah, I'll provide. And that's where schools are going to have to, you know, with our budget cuts and things, I think we're going to have to rely on community, you know, like just to, just to keep schools great. Absolutely. Well, I really appreciate your time here. The last question that I ask in all my interviews is, what is one thing that a principal can start doing this week to be a transformative principal like you? Oh, that's an awesome question. And thanks for <laughs> thanks for asking me to be interviewed. You know, this week, okay, so connect with kids, know their names. You know, it doesn't, I think when we get into our principalship, the duties start adding up and and the stress and everything, it, it just goes back to like, I just feel like, you know, when the children feel like I acknowledge them and know them and care about them, you know, I'm at my best. And so um, I continue to be in the lunchroom, be in the hallways, um, ask them about their spring break, make connections with kids that maybe are having a hard time and I got to keep that up. And so, and it's a daily intention. I think, you know, as you do this work longer, it's like, I'm going to go to work and I'm going to be there for the children and, and then answer email and all that later. So not the most profound answer, but connect with kids. You know, it's amazing how many people talk about the importance of relationships and culture and supporting individual students in their response to that question. So I think you are in good company with that response. And it's a good reminder that we don't have to be deep to make a difference. Um, if people want to learn more about you and about the work you're doing, what would be the best way for them to connect with you, Claire? Yeah, you know, I just started a blog. It's clairefolk.com. So I felt a need. I've been doing a ton of writing for my own schoolwork. And I was like, you know, I want to creatively write because there's an artistic side to me. So Claire with no I, clairefolk.com. So I'm going to be sharing my ideas on work type stuff, but also this is a space where I want to share just ideas on community. So, and the world and not have it all be work related. So that is, and I have all my LinkedIn and everything connected to that thing. So great. And I'll put a link to clairefolk.com in the show notes at transformativeprinciple.org. Cool. Thank you so much, Claire, for being part of the show. Thanks, Jethro. All right. That was a great interview with Claire. I really enjoyed 
talking to her and just hearing people who are so passionate and dedicated like she is really uh, just makes the work that we're doing so much more powerful and and wonderful. So please share this with somebody who you think could benefit from it. And thanks so much again for listening. And if you don't mind taking a minute and uh, just look at the show notes for this, and there's a little link to leave a review on iTunes. If you could do that, that would be wonderful. That helps other people learn more about the podcast. Transformative Principles is a proud member of the Education Podcast Network. Podcast for educators by educators. Visit edupodcastnetwork.com for more great podcasts. Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com slash BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all these goals. That's IXL.com slash BE. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all of those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flexible time without all the headaches you get with it usually. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash B-E.